G.K. Chesterton, an English writer and philosopher and apologist, once wrote, the worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude, but has no one to thank. I hear that again. The worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude, but has no one to thank. The thought of being thankful for whatever it is assumes that there is someone to thank. There is someone to give gratitude toward. Someone has done something. Someone has been good to you. Someone has given a gift and deserves credit or appreciation. And because ultimately, we're not the source of all things. We haven't provided all things. We can't do all things. This thought of gratitude should lead us to God from whom all things come. Ultimately, the idea of thankfulness, the concept, the feeling of being thankful is an indication that there is a God. I'll never forget one of my friend, Mitch Kirshner, who has gone on to be with the Lord as he was sharing his testimony at one of our uh, Christmas uh, musical evenings. He was asked to share his testimony, and I'd never heard his testimony before. And he began to talk about how he rejected Christ, he rejected God, and yet he started having children. And when him and his wife had their first child, Cody, he held him in the hospital. And the first thought and feeling that came over him was, who do I thank for this? Someone has provided an amazing gift in my life. And he was overwhelmed with God's grace. And it was that moment that led him to ultimately look to God and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Thankfulness reminds us that there is something beyond us. There is actually someone beyond us who deserves to be thanked. And so it's no accident or um, it should be assumed in the post-Christian culture that we live in now that ingratitude is seen as so virtuous. When you look around at the culture in which we live in, entitlement is almost a virtue of the culture in which we live in. There seems to be power in being unthankful. There seems to be an adrenaline rush in expressing your entitlement to things rather than thanksgiving. But this makes sense when there's no one to thank. And the one whom we should think is being pushed out and rejected. Biblically, thanksgiving is a command from God as our creator. It is a command to give thanks and to be thankful. And so thanksgiving isn't a generic feeling that comes over us. A lot of times that's the way we think about thanksgiving or to be thankful it's just this feeling that comes over us, and when this feeling comes over us, we express it. Actually, giving thanks is a command to be obeyed. 
It is a command from God, our Creator, who has created all things and allows us to live in His creation, who provides all things for us. We are commanded to acknowledge Him through giving thanks. Thanksgiving is a weapon against sin. Think about in the garden. If Adam would have just looked around the garden and thanked God for all that God had given him, instead of longing and being discontent for this, the fruit of this one tree, instead of being discontent and giving in to sin and disobeying God as creator, what if he had been thankful? Look at all that God has provided. Thanksgiving is a weapon against sin to look around in your life and instead of longing for what you don't have, giving thanks for what you do have. In the book of Colossians, Paul calls us over and over to be thankful for Jesus. To be thankful for what God has done through Christ in the gospel. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, he calls us to give thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. The one who has provided all things, God becomes your Father qualifying you in Jesus, giving you an eternal inheritance. You are to be thankful for this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Being rooted in Christ, having the gospel, knowing Christ, being found in Him is to abound. It is to multiply. It is to reproduce over and over in your life the giving of thanks. And here in this section of Scripture, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, we see that we are to be thankful for one another. We are to be thankful for the church because of the gospel. Because God has bound us together in the gospel. And in verse 15, we see, first of all, that we are to pursue unity through thanksgiving. Notice verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Notice, he says, let peace. We think about this idea of peace. It means that there is no war. There is tranquility. There is shalom. There is rest. This idea of peace happens when two warring parties who are fighting and hostile to one another are reconciled and there is peace. There is no war between the two. But notice he says, the peace of Christ and he's referring to the peace that we have in Christ. As sinners, we have waged war against God, our Creator. We have said in our hearts, I'm going to live however I want to, and I'm going to do whatever I want to. We have waged war against God, and for that, we deserve His just wrath. There is tension. There is enmity. There is war between us and God, but he says, of Christ, in Christ, there is peace because Jesus endures that wrath. Jesus steps in and he endures the hostility between us and God on the cross as the wrath of God is poured out for our rebellion and our sin. And now in Christ, we can be at rest with God. We can be reconciled to God. 
no longer warring against him and no longer having his wrath abiding on us, his justice directed toward us. Instead, we have his love and peace directed toward us. And so Paul says, let that peace rule in your hearts. In the deepest part of who you are, let that peace rule. Now, what's interesting is the word rule here, it means decide. It refers to a, it actually, a good translation would be to let it umpire. Let the peace of Christ decide all things in your heart. Let, let the peace of God be the arbiter of all things in your heart. Let the peace of God be, be the deciding factor in everything in your heart. And so as you think about how you're reacting to the world around you, you think about decisions that you are making, and you think about one another, let the peace of Christ decide how you relate to one another. Let the peace of Christ govern your relationships And he refers to this as he continues in verse 15, to which indeed you were called in one body. He teaches this idea of peace in the context of the church, the body of Christ. Those who believe the gospel, those who are one with Christ, have been gathered to him through believing the gospel. You're to be at peace with one another. Now, we see here this this idea of peace is to decide how we relate to one another, our response and attitude. And here he's referring specifically to the church, not just life in general. We're to have peace with God, the war's over, but that is to overflow in the way that we live with one another in the context of the church. The peace of Christ is to decide all things. You are no longer at war with God in Christ. That means you can't be at war with one another in the church. You're to pursue peace by allowing the peace of Christ to rule all things. We talked about this last week, the earthly, fleshly status that causes division in the world. It's not to cause division in the church. The things that that identify you, who you are, your heritage, your tradition, your background that would cause you to seethe against others in the church, you can no longer do that because the war is over. God has granted all of you the same status in Christ. You are Jesus' brothers. You are Jesus' sisters. You are children of God with the same rights, the same inheritance, the same status. And so you can't war with one another in the church. This is the peace he's referring to here. You see one another as legitimate family through God who is your father and Jesus who is your brother. But notice he continues. He says, and be thankful. So the peace of Christ is to cause unity in the church. But then we are to pursue this peace by being thankful for one another. Notice the phrase, be thankful. This is an ongoing command. He's not just referring to a passive feeling that comes over you. It is, you be thankful It is ongoing. You are to continually be thankful. Now, this word is closely associated with grace, charis, or charis, depending on which southern dialect you use to pronounce that name. But it's closely associated with the idea of grace. To say grace is to thank God for His goodness. 
to be reminded of his goodness and to thank him for it. But here he says, you are to choose to be in gratitude. You are to choose to give thanks to God's goodness. And in context, he's adding this to all of the virtues that we talked about last week. What it means to be Christ-like ultimately involves being thankful. But how does this cultivate peace in the church? How does the idea of being thankful cultivate unity in the church? Well, the reality is it's hard for me to be at war with you and fight against you if I'm thanking God for you. It's hard to live in tension with one another when you are looking around and thanking God for one another. And you are to actively pursue unity through thanksgiving in the church, being thankful, he says, for one another. And this thanksgiving puts all conflict into perspective, right? When when there's an issue between two of us in the church and we get irritated and we're hurt in this one moment, and we can begin to alienate, and we can begin to push away. The idea of thankfulness puts it all in perspective. Because I could seethe at all the ways in which you have hurt me, and you've irritated me, and and ways in which I should push you away. I I could seethe in, in all of those ways, but what do I do? I stop and think about all the many ways you have shown me Jesus. Not just this one moment where we are at odds, but, but a lifetime uh, over the course of time, you have over and over shown me Jesus, and that per- puts the conflict in the moment in perspective. And you stop, Paul says, and be thankful. Instead of warring with one another, be thankful in that moment. And so what I encourage you today to add to your prayer list reasons you're thankful for the church and not just the church in general very specific people in the church let me come up with a list of reasons why i'm thankful and then even beyond that the last person that irritated you list the ways in which you are thankful for them and before you leave today i'm sure that's going to happen And instead of leaving, getting your car and seething, oh, I can't believe the coffee wasn't hot today. I can't believe they didn't speak to me. Oh my goodness, are they mad at me? Stop. I thank you, God, for them. They serve every week so faithfully. They prayed for me when I was struggling. They've handled difficulties so Christ-like. God, I thank you for them. This is how you pursue peace in the church. But not just enduring others' differences or preferences, but delighting in them. We say this a lot around here. When we do or say things that you go, man, that's just not my preference. It's not sin or wickedness in any way. It's just not what I would do. It's just not what I would want. We sing a song or we order things in a way uh, someone else does, a ministry, and you go, I wouldn't do it that way. Stop and don't, not just endure that, but thank God we're different. I praise God. I would have never done it that way, but thank you that we, we exist in a body where people do things differently. People prefer to sing different songs. They, they, they prefer different styles. 
Thank God that you're a part of that. And we're not all the same. That is boring. Praise God. Give thanks for one another and the differences and the preferences. But next we see we are to teach one another with thanksgiving. Notice he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ here, we would sum up the gospel earlier. He says, preach him or him we preach. It is the gospel. It is the scriptures, the story of Jesus uh, from Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament, New Testament. Ultimately, it's summed up. This is a word that God has given us of Christ. And notice he says, let the word of Christ dwell, remain live in you richly. Now, this is plural. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all, the church body, together. The word of Christ is to dwell in the church. And this word richly, it means to overflow. It means to overflow to every corner. Just this week, I was thinking about the flood in here on Christmas Eve where the water just covered the whole building. The Word of God is to flow to every corner of the church, every area of the church, every ministry of the church. But I want you to notice something. Where the Word dwells, peace will rule in the church. Here, notice this. Let the Word dwell in verse 16 is parallel to the peace ruling in verse 15. Where the word dwells, there will be peace in the church. Where we surrender our thoughts and our feelings to God's word, and we're going to do what he says, there will be peace that rules in the church. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about being spirit-filled in the same uh, section of scripture in Ephesians where he's, he's teaching these very things and he refers to being spirit-filled and it is to be word-filled. So to be spirit-filled isn't just some ecstatic feeling, some experience. It is actually to be word-filled because the, ha- the spirit has given us the word. You want to be full of the spirit? Be full of the word. But in Ephesians, he says this leads to unity. And to grieve the Spirit is to cause disunity in the church. We often think to grieve the Spirit is to distract others from worship. No. To grieve the Spirit is to reject the Word of Christ that's bringing about peace in the church and cause disunity in the church. The Spirit is binding us together with the Word of God to reject that is to cause disunity and grieve the Spirit. And so receiving the Word in the church and obeying Christ is an act of unity for your church body. Do you understand that? When you hear the Word of God and you respond to it and obey it, you are pursuing unity in the church. You are saying, I am but one individual in this body. And God, you have, you have given me gifts and you have given me abilities and you've given me this life to honor you. I need your word so that I can serve with my church body, so I can live out the gospel with this community. Give me your word so I can obey it and yet to reject the word and say, I'm going to do whatever I want to in isolation is to cause disunity. And so week after week, you receive the word and respond to it as an act of unity. That's why we do it together. 
To be a healthy member in this body, you need the Word of Christ. You need the Gospel. You need to be reminded of forgiveness and love and mercy. Why? Just so you can hole up by yourself and delight in love, mercy, forgiveness? No. God gives you this Word so that you would pursue others and you would obey His Word. And so we receive the Word as an act of unity for the church to be present and to be engaged. But notice the specifics, how this works out. How does the word dwell in the church? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. Here, teaching refers to instruction, to to hear what we believe, how to see the word from the pages of scripture. We need to hear the word. Admonishing. This is actually where we get the word counsel. And biblically, counsel isn't therapeutic the way we think about it in our current context. It is actually a warning. It's reasoning with people to do the right thing. Ultimately, it's reasoning with people to not turn away from Christ. Warning one another. You do not want to turn to sin and you do not want to walk away from Jesus. It it is admonishing one another. But notice he says, in all wisdom. This refers to the way in which we apply the word in our life. So the word dwells as we teach the word, as we admonish with the word, and then as we apply the word in wisdom. We talked about how we live in Him and we walk in Him. We find our lives in the story of Christ. There is the cross. There is the resurrection. The Spirit indwells me in the context of the church. And I am living on mission. And I have to come to the Word of God, the story of God, and figure out what that looks like in my life. How do I apply the gospel to my life? How do I relate to one another? How, How do I think about my job? How do I think about my family? How do I think about my friends? I take the Word of God and I apply it in all wisdom. And notice here, we need one another to do this. We do this in the context of one another. And so all of this refers to discipleship, how we hear the word and apply it together. But then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Clay has preached two to three sermons on this section over the years. I would invite you to go to our website and listen to those sermons where he talks about what, what these phrases refer to, and I'll just summarize it today. These are the scriptural songs we sing in worship, the songs that point to scripture, the way in which we respond to the word of God. But one of the points Paul is making here is even in the way that we sing, we're teaching one another. So we teach one another the word of God, walking with one another, admonishing one another, But we also teach one another the Word of God by singing the Word of God. That's why all we sing must be latched to the Scripture here in this place. But notice, this is how the Word dwells in the church. From pulpit to discipleship to the songs that we sing, this is how the Word of God dwells in the church. But I want you to notice a clarifying point here. He continues in describing how the Word dwells dwells in the church by saying, saying with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is a um, further point he's making here in describing how the word dwells. The word doesn't dwell in the church just by 
disseminating static information through the teaching preaching ministry. It's not just stale book studies that we go through together where we're acquiring Bible trivia. It's not just through song that we just kind of move through week after week. He clarifies and says, you have to do all of this with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And what's interesting is he's commanding something that should be present in your hearts as you do these things. You can't do these things without thanksgiving in your heart to God, thanking God for his goodness. He refers to a gratitude that's in the deepest part of who we are for God's goodness in the gospel that is taught to one another and is expressed with, to one another as we sing. So the point he's making here is the word dwells in the church when it is received and expressed with thanksgiving. Notice that. Thanksgiving is not just an expression in worship. It is essential to our worship. We talk a lot about being a people of the word around here. That's who we want to be. We want to be people of the word. Well, this idea only lives in a culture where people are genuinely thankful for the word. That that is how we become a people of the word is in our hearts. We have a deep sense of gratitude that we have the word of God, that God has revealed himself to us, that in the pages of scripture, we have the story of Christ that he has given us the gospel. And we come together and we are overwhelmingly thankful for this. And this is why we teach and admonish and sing the word. We must be a church where the word dwells richly in every single ministry. There's no ministry of our church where we say, okay, it's not important to have the word of God. Center in all of this, from our kids' ministry to our students' ministry, college ministry, women's, men's ministry, gathering for worship, the word is to dwell to every corner of the church. And notice this, you teach others with your thanksgiving for the word. As an individual, my thankfulness wanes during the week, right? Different circumstances, the Sometimes I'm very thankful, overwhelmed with God's goodness, and sometimes I forget. And then we gather together around the Word, and we teach one another to be thankful again on the Lord's Day. We come together and we cultivate thanksgiving week after week around the Word of God. And so understand, you are teaching others in this moment by the way in which you are receiving the Word of God, leaning in to hear what God has to say. That's one of the things that happens around here. Oh, y'all preach 45, 50-minute sermons, and people just sit and listen? Look around the room. Everyone is engaged. Not because I'm a great preacher. Because you're up here saying, give me the word of God again. Give me the word of God again. I need the word of God. And so you open your Bible. And so often the most beautiful picture that I see on Sunday is when your head is down. I see the top of your head. It's beautiful because you're looking at your Bibles and you are teaching one another to be thankful for the word of God. You're leaning in to hear from God. You teach one another to be thankful for the Word of God when you thankfully give yourself over to discipleship. 
Who needs to know how to walk with Jesus? Maybe I don't know a lot. Maybe I haven't experienced a lot as a Christian. But there are people who who are in line behind me who I can teach about Jesus. As I follow Jesus, who is following me? And you are thankful to give up a night of the week to gather with others in discipleship around the Word of God. You're teaching one another to be thankful for the Word of God in that way. You teach one another to be thankful for the Word of God when you say, where does my life fit in God's story? Okay, here's what I do at my job. Here is the business that I run. Here are the classes that I'm taking. Here I am a professor. I am a witness. And I thankfully receive God's goodness. It is His Word that shapes the way I think about my life. And other people in the church look in on your life and they say, that's how you witness the gospel. That's how you're on mission for Christ. And they thankfully receive that word. And you're teaching one another thankfulness in that way. We teach one another to be thankful for the word of God when we receive admonition, correction, rebuke from one another with thanksgiving. When you think sin in my life is making me really, really stupid, I'm making some really bad decisions. And I am miserable. And so I need to get with someone else who's more wise, who who can rebuke me, who can correct me, and who can point me to Jesus. And you embrace that. You don't kick against it. You're teaching others to be thankful for the Word of God. This is how the Word dwells in the church when we receive it with thanksgiving. When we gather together and we fight against forgetfulness, forgetting God's grace during the week. And you say, I'm going to teach one another. I'm going to teach others in my church today by singing with thanksgiving. And and I can't sing well at all. Like when I was in middle school, I had headphones on walking around my house singing. And my mom walked up to me, my precious mom who loves me to death and ripped them off of my head and said, no more of you singing in this house. So I don't pretend to be able to sing. I can't sing well, but I can sing with thanksgiving for the gospel. And and I need to hear you sing with thanksgiving. You teach me to be thankful for the gospel as you sing out with joy. Thanksgiving. This is how the word dwells in the church. So we're to receive the word with thankfulness. But then we are to make Jesus supreme through thanksgiving. Notice how... This section ends. He says, and whatever you do. Now, I think he's referring to life in the church. But then he says, in word and deed, whatever you say or do, this could be all inclusive. Whatever you say or do with one another in the church, Christ-like virtues he's talked about. He says, do everything. Whatever it is in life, you're to do everything. Notice, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you could translate this for the fame, for the supremacy, as we've talked about so often in Colossians, for the supremacy of Christ, to make much of Christ. Whatever you do, in word or deed, you must do everything for the fame of Christ. Now, notice what's a part of this. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Giving thanks. Thanking God for His goodness through Him. That through Jesus we have access to the Father. You you don't have God as your Father apart from Jesus Christ. 
His death for you. His life for you. You don't have God as your father. You're, you're not a child of God except through Jesus Christ. And if you are in Christ, you thank God as your father. And this is the ultimate thanksgiving. It's for the gospel. And notice who are you to thank? You're to thank the father who sent the son. But verse 17 teaches us this. That the supremacy of Christ in all we do is cultivated in gospel-centered gratitude. Now that rhymed a little bit. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. It didn't sound like it rhymed on paper. But the supremacy of Christ in all we do is cultivated in gospel-centered gratitude. The truth is, our witness and prayer life reveal the thankfulness in our heart. Who you are as a Christian so often is revealed in the way that you share the gospel, word or deed, for the fame of Christ, and in your prayer life. These two things reveal your heart. And if you are thankful for the gospel, guess what you're going to end up doing? In prayer, you're going to be thanking God for the gospel. And if you're thankful for the gospel, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be telling others the gospel because you're overwhelmed in thanksgiving. And these things work together. If you are spending time in prayer thanking God for Christ, thanking God for the gospel, guess what that's going to overflow to in your life? Sharing the gospel, speaking of the gospel, in word or deed, serving for the name of Christ, making sure Jesus is famous in everything that you do. Why? He's famous in your prayer life. So do you spend time thanking the Father for the gospel? Genuinely. Praising God that He sent His Son to die for you. The reality is, who you are before God is who you are in prayer. No one else is around. Are you overwhelmed with the gospel? Is that what guides your prayer life? If so, you would genuinely speak of Christ. Thanksgiving and prayer and worship leads to the supremacy of Christ in all things. In our prayer lives, we should stop and just say, Thank you, Father. Thank you that you sent your son to die for my sins. Thank you that in flesh he lived a perfect, righteous life in my place. Thank you, Father, that I heard the gospel and by the power of your spirit and your goodness and grace, I was overwhelmed to trust in Christ alone. Thank you. Thank you for the person that shared the gospel with me. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. And if we are spending time praying in that way, we're going to begin to turn to the people we are around and say, let me tell you why I'm so thankful. I was headed to hell. But God sent his son to die for me. Why am I here sacrificing and serving you when maybe you would say, you don't have time for that. You got a family of your own. You got things to do, but you're sacrificing, serving me. Why? Let me tell you why. It's because I am overwhelmed with the way that God has served me in Christ. Let me share. Let me make Jesus supreme in word and deed. 
This is why I study. This is why I work. This, this, this is why I recreate. This is why I do all of the things that I do. Jesus is at the center of my family. Jesus is the one who holds all things together. You are cultivating that in your prayer life. And so you begin to declare that to others. The power of our witness is also cultivated in worship. You do understand that we, we worship here to cultivate thanksgiving. So when we say, Ashland Church, you are sent, you continue to go out thankful telling other people about Jesus. Our worship fuels our witness. And so very clearly, if you want to be a better witness for Christ, which I think we all do, if you're a Christian, you feel that weight on your life. I need to tell more people about Jesus. I know this person who is lost and going to hell. I need to share the gospel with them. You want to cultivate a passion. You want to cultivate boldness and courage to talk to them about Jesus. Get on your knees and just start thanking God for Jesus, for the gospel. And it will naturally overflow in sharing the gospel. You want to be a better witness? Engage with your church family in worship. Not just coming, kind of moving through the songs, but engaging. I, I, want, I want to declare the gospel during the week. I want to be a better witness. So that begins in worship. Back to the quote by G.K. Chesterton. The worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. Maybe the worst moment for the Christian is knowing who to thank and knowing the extent at which you should be thankful and yet responding to that as an atheist and not saying or doing anything. 